Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Joining us now is uh, Michael Starr Hopkins. He is a political strategist and founding partner at Northern Star Strategies. He joins us to talk about a piece that he wrote in The Hill about the exodus of black men from the Democratic Party. Michael, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, man. So, you know, we've been hearing rumblings and and I hear them a lot as a talk show host, uh, uh, specifically from black men about uh, their dissatisfaction with the Republican Party and their willingness to vote for somebody like like a Donald Trump. Why is this happening? Look, I think for a long time, we've seen the Democratic Party take the African-American vote for granted. Every year they show up in pulpits on Sunday and then they leave. Um, when you look at a lot of other ethnic groups, there are legislative uh, priorities that are pushed in support of them. And we're not seeing that in our community. You know, I think it's it's a lot of factors, but I think we're seeing it all come to roost uh, under Donald Trump. It's Surprising and shocking, but Trump got 12% of the African-American vote uh, in uh, 2020. That was the highest vote that anyone's gotten uh, in over 20 years. Now, the fact that Donald Trump got that should terrify everyone, because if those numbers continue to go up like they've been going up, he's going to sort a re-election. Mm-hmm. So why black men as, compla- as compared to black women? What, what are you hearing? So I think there's a, a couple factors. Black women are uh, have a higher rate of employment, uh, a higher rate of uh, life expectancy. Uh, in our communities, we're seeing African-American women have uh, higher rates of pay. I think all those factors, then when you look at the African-American male community, we're seeing a higher rate of incarceration, a lower rate of employment, uh, a lower rate of education. You're seeing people feeling like they're left behind. Look, when I go to the barbershop, when I go play ball, I have friends who talk to me about the fact that they feel like they're not being heard. Like politicians aren't listening to them. The media is not listening to them. Um, and so in many ways, you're hearing an echo of what white male voters are hearing um, or rather are feeling all across the middle of the country. It's just it's coming and bubbling to the top in a different way. Mm-hmm. So another thing that uh, differentiates black women, black women have higher rates of education than black men as as well. And and so when when you look at the differences between the two, because black women, of course, the, the most loyal demographic to the Democratic Party, is that because their mothers, are they looking at their children? Are they looking at the future rather than just looking at a current circumstance? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. When you think of things like Obamacare, uh, you you look at that law and what it did specifically to help uh, the African-American community in terms of increasing the rate of health insurance, increasing or lowering premiums. You know, it's something like 60 percent of the country has access to health care for less than $50. Uh, that That is something that helped African-Americans uh, specifically. But at the same time, you're looking at the morbidity rate uh, of African-Americans. You're looking at the infant mortality rate of African-Americans, and it's still extremely high compared to other ethnicities within the country. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you're seeing is uh, African-Americans 
women look at the current state of the country and say, how can I make it better? And I think you're seeing a lot of African-American men uh, look at the state of our country and throw their hands up and say, I'm done with it. Mm. So we're talking with Michael Hopkins. He is a uh, political strategist and uh, looking at the uh, the black male exodus, the black male exit uh, from the, the Democratic Party. So uh, when, when I look at your piece, you talk about black males voting uh, for Donald Trump at a rate of of 12 percent, that 12 percent of black males voted for Donald Trump. Uh, it, it was less, I believe, for black females. Mm-hmm. It was around six percent. Right. Around six, seven. OK, so, um, you know, let me say, one of the things that contributed to this is Donald Trump, for all of his flaws and all of his moral failings, was smart in this aspect. He understood that if he took a couple of percentage points away from Democrats in terms of African-Americans, who are the most loyal voting base, I will repeat, most loyal voting base for Democrats, most consistent, show up every election and literally can be the difference between winning or losing for most elections. Donald Trump noticed that. And what he did was he looked at legislation targeting African-Americans that could be helpful. So so the First Step Act, which at the end of the day did not have some tectonic shift in how we look at criminal justice, but he marketed it really, really well, which is what Donald Trump does. And so by looking to fill the void that Democrats have left in terms of failing to pass voting rights legislation, failing to protect uh, the Civil Rights Act, He's filling that void. And while it may only be a surface level void, it's he is at least making African-American or some African-American men feel like he sees them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the other thing he did was he he let Kodak Black out of prison and and had Kodak Black speak for him. Yep. Which was part of the First Step Act. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, the Democratic Party has. African-American members in it. But for a long time, there have not been African-American members in uh, mid-level positions, which I think has been one of the biggest injustices because, you know, we had Barack Obama at the top. We got Hakeem Jeffries at the top, Jamie Harrison at the top, who's the head of the DNC. Uh, But when you look at kind of Chief of staffs on the Hill on, in Congress. Uh, when you look at communications directors in Congress, kind of those positions where they really, that's really where the policy is written and done and put together. There are very few of us there. And that's where I think we're really missing out. Mm-hmm. Now, what about for, for members of the Congressional Black Caucus? Because I worked for a congressman for a number of years. His mm-hmm. uh, chief, chief of staff was black. The communications director was black. Um, what about members of the CBC? I mean, are they helping to fill some of that void by hiring black people in some of these positions? Yeah, I mean, I think the CBC is trying the best that they can. But as you know from working on the Hill, one of the hardest things about working on the Hill is the pay is low. Yeah. And a lot of people, you got to start out by volunteering. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to tell you, mm-hmm. a lot of us come from families and economic situations where we can't afford to just volunteer. Right. And you throw in D.C. rent, cost of living. And you now have somebody making twenty four thousand dollars in a city where rent is twenty five hundred a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we we it's hard for us to get into the same positions as a lot of these suburban white kids who you know have parents who could afford to pay for them to go to college or you know can help supplement 
money so that they can have their rent paid for and things like that and have these opportunities that just economically we're not able to. Yeah. So getting back to black men and and the feeling that uh, black men have been left behind and and really black men's openness to supporting Mm -hmm. somebody who, for all intents and purposes, looks looks like a racist, has a lot of white supremacists following him, has a lot of uh, hate groups following him. Uh, it was endorsed by a paper that comes from the KKK. Like we, we are looking at this guy and seeing all of that and saying, never mind all of that. We'll support mm-hmm. him anyway. Like why? So what I hear from from people is, but at least he tells me who he is. <laughs> That's crazy. Democrats, they say, you know, where it's a different kind of discrimination. Mm-hmm. And let me say, I don't agree with this. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a loose, a really loose generalization. Mm-hmm. But there's this mentality that Democrats. Uh, well, it's all good until you move into the neighborhood. It's all mm-hmm. good until you are up for a promotion and you're competing with them. Everybody wants a black person in their school until it's in their kids' class. Mm-hmm. At least at least Donald Trump tells me, I don't like you, but if you make money, you're good in my book. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that mentality, and you, know, you remember in the 90s, early 2000s, like Donald Trump was a theme in rap songs. Like, mm-hmm. He was seen as a as excess wealth, as flashy, and so I think part of that has carried over um, into the mentality of culture. And then I also think there's a mentality we, you know, you see this in polling data. Trump polls really well with people uh, from with males from uh, Hispanic and Latino countries where there's authoritarianism, mm-hmm. and the thought process is. He, the strong man, the beating of the chest, uh, that actually resonates with a certain crowd of people, that machismo kind of uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is that the case with black men? It, it, it looks like for a certain uh, factor of or a certain uh, slice of the electorate, it is. There is an appealing nature of Trump. You know, telling people to f off and saying that he can get shot in the middle of you know New York and nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. That kind of bravado, and I, some people call it swagger. I call it stupidity. Mm-hmm. Um, but that scene is um, something that people embrace. Mm-hmm. So you had some advice for for Democrats if if they want to win back black men uh, who are looking at a candidate like a Donald Trump. So. What is your advice to the Democratic Party? What do they need to do? Democrats have to hire black strategists, black consultants, put African-Americans in positions of influence in terms of being able to write policy. Uh, And, you know, really, it's in no other world would you have uh, a black director, uh, African-American outreach director, be a white consultant. You know, that's but it's for some reason it's okay in our culture. Mm. You know, we really you can't try to talk to someone and not understand the language at its most basic essence. And so when you try to run a political campaign and just check the box on the African American community, because oh, you know, if if we get some buses and do souls to the polls, or if we do, you know, some bag lunches, then we know the black people are going to show up. Like, no, that can't be it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, now, black people are demanding, what's in it for me? Yeah. Like, what is in it for me? Every other group, there's tax breaks, there's legislation to appeal to them. 
why are we going to keep showing up? And I actually think this is a really great opportunity for the African-American community. We have showed up for so long. Our influence is so huge. You know, you look at the economic impact of the African-American culture. Now you look at the political impact. We can literally shape the country. Our vote is on the table. Come get it. But you got to provide something for our vote. Everyone else has this conversation, but our community hasn't. And so I think now we need to be demanding that, uh, you know, black consultant companies are getting contracts, that African Americans are being put in places in the DNC and in uh, the Democratic congressional campaign in the White House. It, it, it's our time and it's been our time. And I think we're now going to see a shift. Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of um, what happens for, for regular black folk, everyday people, um, you know, one of the things that that Biden tried to do was to was to push this uh, student loan debt relief. And and he did it on the back end with, with something lesser. Yeah, he did the best he could. Right. He did the best he could. But that's the thing. Like he's so, you know, you push the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, mm-hmm. in my view, didn't push it hard enough, but pushed yep. it. Um, you push uh, voting rights, uh, in, in my view, didn't push it hard enough, but pushed it. And and then you have Republicans stand up and block it uh, or you have the courts block it. And so, you know, if if you try to do something and it doesn't work, I mean, does that does that make a difference? It does make a difference, but I don't think it is the end all be all. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about the Voting Rights Act and Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, yeah. two Democrats um, or former Democrats, um, they were the ones that really were the impediment to it. Yeah. And so thank God they're no longer members of the party and hopefully will not be uh, in elected office much longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that was a perfect example of if we have one or two more seats, if, if we increase the amount of African-Americans that are showing up at the polls, because if you think about it, only about, 35% of African-Americans are, are showing up to the polls on a, the average election. Mm-hmm. Think about if 60% was showing up. Yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, just a little over half of us, mm-hmm. um, the power that we could yield. And so I think as we head into this new election, mm-hmm. that's really what you're going to see the conversation um, in our community be about, about utilizing our vote and putting it together and putting together some sort of agenda because I think the democratic party itself is also kind of in a position of what, what do we actually want? Mm -hmm. Uh, How do do we want this symbiotic relationship to work? How do we, what legislation, what can we do? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things is when you don't have black people working for you, you don't know how to, you don't know what, our priorities in that community. I always give this example as a, a, a consultant. I know that Gap didn't have any black people in their senior office when they put out that shirt with the black kid and there was a monkey on the shirt. Mm-hmm. That tells me you have no black people working for that's you. That's right. Because no one could say, hey, maybe that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. The same thing goes for political campaigns and goes for uh, offices on the Hill. Mm-hmm. I can tell when press releases come out or when insensitive things are said, that there are no black people in the office. Yeah. I've been on the campaigns where we got ready to put something out. And I said, you know, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Not today. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and so if for nothing else, it will help white politicians get elected. Yeah. Like 
Mm. It's nothing for self-serving purposes. These campaigns need to be hiring African-American consultant firms. And when you look at, you know, the McKinsey's of the world, the SKDK, all these big consultancy firms, uh, most of them are owned by white individuals. Mm -hmm. And so if that money started being pumped into African-American companies, Imagine the new generation of consultants, of lobbyists, of political activists that we could create. Hmm. That's Michael Star Hopkins. He's a political strategist, founding partner at Northern Star Strategies. Joined us to talk about uh, his piece in The Hill about the exodus of black men from the Democratic Party and what the Democratic Party needs to do about it. You can check out that work at thehill.com. Michael, I want to thank you for joining us this morning on WURD. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 